Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. Today with me are my guests. First is co-host and media consultant of the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Hey, John. Have a good, I'm glad to be here. Good. Then we have our circulation director for the Cincinnati Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. That's good to hear. Then we have our Herald intern with us, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me. No problem. And introducing our other Herald intern, Maeve Hamlet. How are you doing today, Maeve? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. No problem. And we have a special guest, a founding co-facilitator of the Black Environmental Leaders, Samia Bray. How are you doing today? Hi, John. I am doing wonderful. And thank you for having us tonight. So glad you could be with us. So before we head on to the main topic of the day, which concerns the Black Environmental Leaders, let's dive into some news topics. Diving into our first topic. At Monday night's Cincinnati Public School Board meeting, Superintendent Laura Mitchell announced her resignation. She will take a position as Beach Acres Parenting Center President and CEO. Mitchell, a Cincinnati native who became CPS Superintendent in the summer of 2017, had renewed her contract with the district last August for another four years to end on July 31st, 2024. During her 27-year career with Cincinnati Public Schools, Mitchell spent the past four years as superintendent of the district. The past year has been difficult for the district as the Board of Education and Mitchell struggled with various plans to educate students during the coronavirus pandemic, with much of the school year incorporating a virtual learning program as buildings sat idle. About 6,000 of the district students were unaccounted for during that period. Mitchell's final day with the district will be June 11th. Andrea, your thoughts on the story? I'm surprised. Um, she has been working so hard to um, improve the district and offer up unique programming curriculum to help improve the um, potential of the students. So I was really surprised by the fact that she was gonna leave. But then again, with COVID, I'm not surprised when people decide to, you know, leave. The pressure can be too much. Things, things like that can happen. But um, I know she has done her best with Cincinnati Public Schools. They've put in a lot of new programs with her. She's stabilized it somewhat. So I'm sorry to see her go, but I'm interested to see who they're going to get next. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Yes, initially I too was surprised. But uh, as you said earlier, the uh, last year, this pandemic year has been very difficult for, for her and her team. She was in a position that no matter what she did, uh, there was gonna be a lot of folks that were against her. So uh, I understand the situation. Sorry to see her go. Uh, she has been a friend to the Herald this, uh, the four years she's been there. Uh, so we will be sorry to see her go. Suhana, your thoughts on the story. John, um, considering I am only introduced to her very recently, I don't under, I in truest honesty don't understand the complete gravity of the situation that it is today, about how much big of relevance it is that she's quitting and uh, going for a new career. But understanding that uh, as an academic instructor, she has served for 26 years and now she's going towards something new, 
I what would I I have to say is that I feel it must be very challenging for her because shifting careers after shifting careers are is always a difficult decision one goes through and uh, deciding to do something different from what she has been doing after a 26 years age time it must be new exciting some maybe a little terrifying but considering that through most through most of the pandemic she has worked and she handled the system really well i'm sure even she must be looking forward for new challenges and opportunities must be a little tiresome to work so long under pandemic Maeve, uh your thoughts on the story yeah um i think it's surprising to see her go seeing her contract in early but this past year the pandemic has been really tough on a lot of educators and I think the backlash that she was receiving too of how CPS kind of handled the pandemic could have been a really heavy weight on her shoulders. And I'm not saying that's why she ended her contract with CPS, but I think her new career might be a breath of fresh air for her. So moving on to our next topic, Ohio State House Republicans formally introduced their regressive anti-voter legislation that goes even further than the widely panned voter suppression measures in Georgia and Florida. Despite numerous concerns from Ohio voting rights activists, Republicans in Columbus are moving ahead with measures that attack Ohioans' rights to vote and confuse voters at the poll. While bills in Georgia and Florida are rightly criticized for their extreme anti-voter provisions, Ohio's version of the bill is the most extreme yet. The regressive GOP legislation would make it harder for Ohioans to vote by eliminating a day of early voting on the Monday before Election Day, cutting off Ohioans' ability to request an absentee ballot 10 days out from an election, removing a week that Ohioans were previously able to request an absentee ballot requiring two forms of ID for online absentee ballot requests, prohibiting anyone but the Secretary of State from providing prepaid postage for absentee ballot requests for terms and providing no funding for the Secretary to be, a- to be able to do so, codifying Frank LaRose's nonsensical limit of one Dropbox location per county that can only be used in cases of emergency, but making a confusing exception to the rule 10 days out from an election and forcing Ohioans to opt in to automated voter registration through the BMV, meaning voter registration isn't automated at all. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I am surprised at how extensive they're going to try and put this through. I I think the fact that the Republicans are so scared of the strength of the ballot box that they're going to try and limit of you know voices that only have one vote. Um, the fact that they're going to this extreme, it's not surprising. It's Ohio, or a red state for a reason. But I think the fact that this is sweeping across the country, and they are doing their darndest to limit the power of the vote that they that they watched happen at the ballot boxes last November. They're so scared of what voters think and do that they're willing to quash it to stay in power. And I think shame on them, if they were just willing to open up a little bit, they would not be in this position right now trying to do this. Wade, your thoughts? It's disappointing, uh, to say the least. Uh, The Republican party has shown over the last four years that uh, they are not the Republican Party, in my, in my opinion. 
there was an old saying, you don't cut your nose to spike your face. And uh, I think they've quickly forgotten that uh, they too had a record number of voters because of the things that were put in place. And I think that uh, they are very short-sighted with this move and it just will further turn people against them. Maeve, your thoughts? Honestly, I think the extent that they're going to is extreme. I think this is their way of backlashing against the recent presidential election. Um, I think this is their way of trying to insinuate that there was a fraudulent fraudulent election because of the drop in ballot boxes. And, you know, House Democratic leaders have even criticized this as being like the modern Jim Crow laws because it's clearly targeting disenfranchising voters of color. So I think this is kind of their way to try to get back of that. And I think it's cruel. Suhana, your thoughts? John, I think that it is so, if this, if taking a revenge is the reason for why this laws have been uh, edited, then it's very petty for a government body to do something like this. I mean, I hope the the body understands that the decision they are taking, people are seeing it in a very negative light. And in case they have a better justification for why they have made these changes, I would like a little more clarification over it because this is really embarrassing if it's a way to um, curb people's uh, water, voting rights in any way. Though on, while we read it out loud, it looks like um, not, it looks very extensive and very cumbersome and it's quite possible that many people might miss the details of it but uh, if there's any better reason for why this reason why this laws have been taking place then i would surely like to hear the explanation and now moving on to our next story ohio governor mike dewine said he plans to have most health orders implemented because of the covid 19 vaccine lifted on june the 2nd Orders for nursing homes and assisted living facilities will remain in place. He touted the progress Ohio has made in vaccinations, lowering COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in the state, specifically compared to case rates per 100,000 people in December at the start of the vaccination rollout. Orders being lifted will include Ohio's mask mandate and social distancing rules imposed by the state. Businesses and schools are allowed to make their own determinations as to whether masking or social distancing should continue. In addition to that, DeWine also said that starting May 18th, Ohio will do a weekly lottery for five weeks to award full four-year scholarships to any college or university in the state of Ohio. That includes tuition, books, and room and board to any vaccinated students age 17 or under. And then starting May 26, Ohio will award $1 million to a different vaccinated resident every week for five weeks. The winner each week will be chosen at random. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I'm flabbergasted. Why? Well, I can understand why the incentive for young people to get vaccinated to possibly win a college scholarship. I see that. It's a unique way to do that. But to award a million dollars to, or did you say up to a million dollars? No, it was a million dollars. So this, so, so, so he's going to be giving out $5 million altogether. Oh, okay. That, that's a different set of circumstances. It's going to be interesting 
One, to see who he awards the money to. Two, why a million dollars? And, you know, those of us who've gotten vaccinated, that's a nice incentive, but I don't know how many people are going to actually jump at the chance to get vaccinated for the possibility of winning a million dollars. It's, it's, I'm speculative of um, why, but I understand he bowed to the pressure with Kentucky about to open up and everywhere else about to open up. I would rather have seen a gradual opening of the state and the mass and easing of the mass mandate because, you know, even though I've been out and about, I still have a mass with me because I'm uneasy, uneasy, but we'll see what we see. Wade, your thoughts on this breaking story? I think that the news that the opening, starting to open things up is not, not surprising because it's, it's coming fast anyway. So that's not surprising. The uh, million dollar incentive should be interesting because I think you will immediately see the line start to come back it was before. I think a lot of people will jump for that opportunity. Uh, so I, I think that I, I understand if that's, if they're trying to, if that's the only reach, way for them to reach their goal is to do that. Uh, it's interesting is to see how many more states try to do something similar to that. It won't move me, but it might move. I think it'll move a lot of people. Suhana, your thoughts? John, I think it's uh, quite good that uh, there is an, um, a very idealistic opportunity present out there for you to get vaccinated, that a million dollars in exchange will be there if you are vaccinated. I'm sh- I, it, the idea is so simple and good that I wonder that if other countries or other states have used something like this to uh, get their citizens vaccinated. But uh, I believe that this is those short-term moments which are really funny to remember years later. And uh, I think, and because the overall goal is to just make sure that enough people are vaccinated so the markets can be open. But uh, I think while we all are getting vaccinated, it's a very funny thing to, funny and interesting thing to see. And uh, I'm most ex- I'm pretty sure that I am not the one who's gonna win the lottery. So I'm pretty excited to see who are the winners. Uh, Maeve, your thoughts on this story? Yeah, um, I'm curious as to why DeWine originally went from that goal of 50 per 100,000 people, 50 positive cases, to now I think we're at around, I think it was 187 per 100,000 cases today. I just, I'm curious to know what changed. And I think it's because of the vaccine rate is targeted to reach that 50, but why so soon is my question. And also the a million dollar incentive is really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that before, but I have heard that, you know, states across the country are kind of hitting this vaccine wall and it's kind of hard to get the people to change their mind. I think that's an interesting way for people to feel motivated to get the vaccine. So yeah, I'm curious to see how it all rolls out. Yes, definitely. And um, those are some of the top news topics of the week. So now we're going to the second half of the show. And um, like I said earlier in the show, our special guest today is Samia Bray. How are you doing today, Samia? I am doing well, John. And the I have to say the conversation was very enlightening and I appreciate being uh, able to, to listen to the thoughts and perhaps share a few in our discussion while we're, uh, while we're talking. 
Yes, of course. Now, you said you're one of the founding co-facilitators of the Black Environmental Leaders. Am I correct? Yes, yes. So Black Environmental Leaders, we actually have three uh, co-facilitators. We have uh, Jacqueline Gillen, uh, David Wilson, and then myself, Samia Bray. And so uh, a really interesting thing about the co-facilitation concept we really wanted to make sure that Black Environmental Leaders was a participatory organization, meaning that no one individual was its leader, but that the three of us together co-facilitate the organization and then the members weigh in on the key decisions that we make. So what does your organization exactly do? Our organizations, we stand as stewards for both the natural and the built environment, standing up for economic and environmental justice. And so that really speaks to looking at communities, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and the environmental issues that have a unique spin for our communities, whereas uh, other communities may not experience the same things. And sometimes our communities don't even realize that these are environmental issues. Um, so for example, I'm thinking about Lincoln Heights, right? right? Lincoln Heights founded 75 years ago, only one year after their founding to have a gun range placed right outside the incorporation line. So that meant the residents of Lincoln Heights for 74 years have been listening to constant gunfire, dealing with the air being polluted by uh, lead from the casings, dealing with the soil being perhaps also polluted with the dropping of the lead that comes from the firing of the weapons also having to deal with potentially the contamination of the water as a result. So everyone deserves clean air, clean soil, and clean water. But yet systemically throughout our country, we saw and we continue to see these kinds of decisions that are made. So I wasn't surprised, disappointed, but not dis surprised to see um, some of the voter rights legislation that is um, attempting to be changed right now um, because it's the same mind. It's right. the same mind. So what do you guys, I mean, what does your organization hope to accomplish like within, you know, the next few years? So actually we have a threefold strategy. It's to advocate, incubate, and inform. So that we call that our AI squared strategy. And within that, one of the things is we are constantly, and this isn't just something we plan to do in the future, currently we are advocating throughout the entire state of Ohio, and this conversation that we're having with you today is a part of that advocate and inform strategy, is to talk with people and engage people and ignite folks around standing up around issues that are important to their communities. Because sometimes we feel like it's just our community and it seems like we're all alone. But what we're finding is the bell effect happens that as we go into different communities, people stand up and say, first of all, we didn't know an organization like yours existed, which was focused primarily on economic and environmental justice, not just as an aside, not just as because it's popular right now, but 
as we say, we were people of color, we were black before it became popular, we're black now and we'll be black in the future. So these issues are issues that come and go for us. These are issues that we must stand for and stand with. So we are part of a coalition that works statewide to advocate for uh, environmental justice matters and also to get legislation passed that will help turn some of those bad practices around. On the informed side of things, that's where we really work with individuals to get better understand things like what is renewable energy? What is energy efficiency? Why should you even care about that? How does that impact your household? What does it mean to have a, a smaller footprint as far as uh, climate is concerned? And then the last area, which is to we advocate, we incubate, and that is making sure that more individuals of color not only get involved in environmental organizations across this state, but across this country, and that when they get there, they're not alone. Because typically within our country, the feeling is that environmental organizations look like people who don't look like people of color. What the reality is, people of color have been connected to the environment forever. And so when you talk about our goals, when you talk about what is it that we do, we advocate on behalf of unjust laws and policies. We incubate and provide support for those who are stepping into those areas where they may be the only person of color in that room and help them to know that you are not alone when you go in those places. And then we inform helping people understand and get more information about all aspects of both the built and the natural environment. So that puts us in a lot of places. Um, our membership does everything from water to land, to uh, renewable energy, to um, environmental uh, landscaping and land management. I wanted to ask you, can you tell us about any particular case that you advocated for, like any specific one you can think off the top of your head? Sure. So House Bill 6 um, was legislation that was passed that did several things. And I'll just talk about some of the, the broader issues. One of them was it rolled back our renewable energy standards. So people say, oh my God, she's talking science talk. What is she talking about? Well, within the state of Ohio and across the country, in 2013, for the first time globally, renewable energy permits, so we're talking about wind, solar, geothermal, all of those things that reduce our collective carbon footprint on this earth. Permits to do those kind of projects outpaced fossil fuels, gas, and coal generated energy. However, the large investments that were made in the infrastructure for gas and oil, there's a big incentive for those organizations to have those things supported so that even as it shifts, because how many of you have gone out recently and bought an LED light? That's a part of renewable energy and energy efficiency because we're using less energy. Those kinds of things, how many have seen a, seen a commercial that says 
drive an electric vehicle, that also reduces how much energy that we use. So as we as a, as a society, as a world, begin to use less and less energy, what that means is we don't necessarily need the fossil fuel generated energy as much. So what does this have to do with HB6? House Bill 6 asks for several things. One, to roll back or slow down that natural pace of renewable and energy efficiency projects in the state of Ohio. Secondly, what it did, and this is the part that really caught my attention, it asked for subsidies to keep open nuclear power plants for perpetuity. Now, perpetuity, I thought about that word and I said, that's a long time. That means my children's children, their children and their children's children would be paying on their electrical bills to keep open nuclear power plants, one of which isn't even in Ohio. That was another part of HB6. Wow. Then the third part was that it allowed for protections for, if you will, fossil fuel generated plants. So even though when you think about a business model, right? If you don't produce, you don't stay in business. If you're not meeting the demand of people, if the demand of the people change, you don't stay in business. So what's naturally happening across the globe and Ohio is no exception, is that we're naturally moving into more clean energy producing vehicles, power and different modes. So. One way to slow it down, which made House Bill 6 come back to the forefront, was that $61 million was used, allegedly, for bribes to make sure that legislation passed. I had no idea. Wow. So now it has passed. And then the scandal happened. The FBI came and started taking computers and things for several high-ranking individuals that were connected to the passage of that legislation. That investigation is still pending. And so the question begs, well, if the legislation was passed because of corruption, then it should just be thrown out. But here we are almost a year, two years actually, since those indictments happened, and pieces and parts of the legislation are being removed. And those, those pieces are a result of coalitions of individuals, which we are part of, not letting that story die. Because that's what happens. That, that, that legislation happens. People get discouraged. People get hopeless. They stop talking about it. They stop fighting for it. There were hundreds hundreds of organizations that um, provided opponent testimony against that legislation when it was beginning and it still passed because of the corruption. And so those are the kinds of things that we understand. You know, most people don't have the time nor the energy or perhaps their day-to-day is just about surviving. So they don't have time to think about stuff like that, especially when it starts getting all technical. But we've dedicated our lives to standing in that place. So when we say stand as stewards, 
for the natural and built environment is doing the testimony, keeping up with the legislation, looking for legislation that actually helps communities, and then working with legislators who want to move that legislation forward, and then not giving up and not stopping. You know, being like Bruce Lee say, we have to be like water. You know what water do, it just keep going. It, keep, it just finds a way. It yeah. just finds a way. It doesn't matter. We find a way. And that makes me think about, you know, one of the news stories that you talked about, because it's the same mind, the same mind that would change the voting rights so that it would make it more difficult for people to vote because they didn't like the result of the voting is the same mind that is, has been indicted. Some of their members of their party have been indicted for this $61 million in briberies. So, you know, disappointed, yes, surprised, no. But as Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. And thank goodness for technology because it used to be these kinds of things happened in the darkness. And you know what, what grows in the darkness, mold. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Nothing good grows in the darkness. But when you continue to shed light upon it, light, it doesn't matter if you have a little match in the darkness that match will command your attention. That's and so true. if you think about, you know, black environmental leaders, that's why we stand as stewards for the natural and the built environment, because we understand that these issues and decisions have been made for a very, very long time um, as it impacts communities of color. And that's all communities of color. You know, the 1619 Project talks about how black people specifically have had a hand in every infrastructure and every part of this American society. And that's a part of their argument for reparations. Well, if we've been at it for 400 years, our indigenous sisters and brothers have been at it for 500 years because theirs was the land that was taken so that these things could happen. And so we stand in solidarity, not only we're, although our name is black environmental leaders because that's who we are as black environmental leaders, we stand in alignment and in solidarity with our brothers and sisters of the indigenous communities. We stand with our brothers and sisters that are Asian and Asian Pacific communities. And by the way, hate in any form is wrong. Uh, we stand with our brothers and sisters from the Latinx community as well. Um, because all of our communities, although we may experience some of these things differently, we all experience what it is to be the other within this country. And unfortunately, one of the tactics to uh, keep us, if you will, in our place is to keep us separated. So if we, you know, separate ourselves, then what we can't do is make the progress that we need for all of us. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about this stuff. No, no, I, I love your passion. I love that you're passionate about this because it's important. It's very, very important. Yeah, yeah. And we live through it every day, you know? Um, people are sitting in places and they're feeling like they're the only ones. And when we, you know, when we show up in some cities and, and we begin to advocate alongside the people that have been fighting and we begin to amplify their voices, they say, we thought we were the only ones going through this. And we say, no friend, you are not. We have right now a group of individuals who are in Alabama, believe it or not, 
who reached out to us recently. And we're talking about some collaboration with them because they're dealing with the same things. The purpose of a system is to build it in such a way that you can produce or predict what the outcome would be. This entire country was built upon systems that were designed in such a way that people of color would always get the short end of the stick. So that's how you end up with both the built and the natural environment. That includes the air, the land, the water, the healthcare system, the education system, the political system, the cradle to prison pipeline. All of those systems were designed with the same mind that would put the legislation together that you talked about earlier in the show, that would put a gun range next to a neighborhood and then make a decision that says, well, we don't want to enclose it because it'll affect the quality of the air. But somehow shooting those same bullets into the air of a, one of the first Black founded cities on this side of the Mason-Dixon line, right in the Cincinnati area, Lincoln Heights, build the gun range right outside their corporation limit. By doing that, that means that the people who are dealing with that environmental issue don't have a say in it because it's not in their municipality. Those are the kinds of strategic games that get played that if you don't understand that that's a part of that strategy, you don't know how to keep it from happening to another community. Now, the good news is, They've, they've advocated for so long, 75 years, that there's an agreement, at least a verbal agreement, that that is going to be moved from their community. What we want to do is make sure it doesn't go to another community that isn't organized so right. that it happens just to another group of people of color. Right. So those are the, that's, you know, that's just one example, but there's examples like that all over Ohio. And that's why Black Environmental Leaders is actually doing a series now be called Black Landscapes Matter. Because with Black Landscapes Matter, we want to elevate that these kinds of things are not just in the past. You know, we talk about redlining, it happened in the past, right? We talked about these different things, they happened in the past. It's not just in the past. It's still very much a contemporary issue. And yeah. thank God for technology, you know, like you tonight. Thank you so much because somebody tonight is going to hear some of these concepts and maybe become a little bit more aware to pay a little bit more attention and perhaps make a different choice than what they would have made prior to our conversation tonight. So thank you and thank your team for allowing us to come on. Um, we're doing this series, Black, uh, Black Landscapes Matter um, in June we'll be um, having a conversation. So we'll be sure to share that information with you and your listeners if you all would love to tune in. Um, tonight, I'm just talking a little bit about it, but um, you know, it'll be a, you know, some more experts on there that can go a little bit more into the details and about what people can do if they're so inclined to action. Right, of course. Now, no, like I said, we're kind of wrapping up here. How can people find out more about your organization and what you guys do? So, yeah, so I'm so excited. We have a new website that's launching the first week. It's like a big official launch happening the first week of June. And it's, 
It's long, but hopefully you can remember it. Blackenvironmentalleaders.org. Black Environmental Leaders. We're also on Facebook. So if you look up Black Environmental Leaders on Facebook and on Twitter, you'll find us there as well. But um, yeah, first week of June, we're going to be launching that new website. And uh, yeah, check us out. Definitely. We'll definitely put that in the uh, podcast description. And I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on our show and sharing all of that knowledge and very important knowledge too. Some of it I had no idea about, especially the Lincoln Heights situation. Yeah, it's in the Cincinnati area. And that's what I'm saying. It's, they're everywhere. And the more people know, especially folks like yourself, you're going to share it. And we're going to keep talking about it until they get the resolution that they deserve. Can you imagine a five-year-old wanting to play at a playground and they're hearing gunfire from eight in the morning until five, six, seven o'clock at night, every single day for multiple generations? Yes, that's truly horrible. Well, thank you for all the good work that you guys are doing. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you. We need each other. Definitely. And I also want to thank all my other guests. Thank you, Andrea, Suhana, Wade, and Maeve. Uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts on our other news topics. Thank you. Thank you so much, John, for having us. Thank you. Enjoy being here. Thank you. And if you liked what we were talking about today, make sure you check out the stories on our website at www thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. And finally, after months and months and months, we are finally on Apple Podcast. So if you have an Apple device, just go to the Apple Podcast store and listen to the Cincinnati Herald podcast because we're there, baby. We're on every major podcast streaming service right now. And we're also on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV and also follow us on our official TikTok channel. Just search for Cincinnati Herald. And remember, get vaccinated so we can reach herd immunity, and you might have a chance to win a million dollars. Just saying. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day. <laughs>